foodie. 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 From the Not A Foodie studio, which is not a studio today, it's a, it's a Skype recording and it's a studio, and this is a this is a crazy episode. It's it's not a studio. It's not we a studio are not today. In a studio. No, not right now. We're not in a studio. But anyway, it's a Not A Foodie show. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike and I are on Skype right now to record, you know, this part of the podcast. But we actually have um, a bunch of really cool stuff that we recorded in studio yesterday. Um, a couple of really great interviews, but we'll get to that. Um, first of all, Mike, welcome to season 27, Three. 27 of the Not A Foodie. I'm just calling yeah. it like whatever like, I want. Hot Ones has like 12 seasons already. I'm like, you guys have existed for like two years. I like, um, did you ever watch Documentary Now on IFC? Where I've never heard of that. Oh my God. So it's Helen Mirren does the opening. And it's like a PBS style documentary. Like it's a it's a mockumentary show where they do half hour to hour like fake documentaries. And oh, Helen Mirren oh. oh my god, you'd love it. But anyway, Helen Mirren gets on and it's like, Welcome to the fifty first season of Documentary Now. So anyway, welcome to uh welcome to the Not a Foodie Podcast season three, three and a half. I don't know. Let's call this season three. Mike, what have you been up to? I moved. Big Where'd... deal. I moved even further uptown, but now my apartment has one a dishwasher and two a giant island. So now is I've it... really been cooking a lot. Is it like a mechanical dishwasher or is it someone that you hired to wash your dishes? I hired somebody to use the mechanical dishwasher. <laughs> it's like, that's called your roommate. <laughs> um... It seems like every time we start a new season, you move. Is that just coincidence? No, it's or... my life. It's essentially <laughs> what just happens. I mean, you moved from Queens to Harlem. Now you're moving from Harlem to even more Uptown. Harlem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, no, I mean, I'm not in Harlem anymore. I'm in Washington Heights. Oh, yeah, up, up. What's what's the food scene like in your in your new hood? It's pretty cool. There's um, there's this spot called Mama Sushi. There's two of them. There's one up on Dykeman, and then there's one here. And it's a Dominican sushi restaurant. And it's unapologetically Dominican. And it, it is like, it's so much fun to go to. Um, we got a roll with uh, guacamole and plantains on top. I got a deep fried roll with mango and uh, queso blanco and salami. Wow. Like, yeah, it's crazy. That sounds awesome. That sounds like yeah. perfect, um, like drunk food too. Like they just... also let you smoke hookah there. Oh, they well. sell hookahs. <laughs> it's a it's an experience. It is a mashup of I, I like of nine different cultures. I feel like. So I let's see. What did I do over the summer? I don't know. Oh, I went to Australia. I went to I went on a trip. No big deal. Yeah. Went went to this little place. It, it's a tiny it's pretty close place. by. Yeah. <laughs> it's not difficult to get there. It was an awesome trip. I ate lots of awesome food. I like I think I ate my weight in scallops. For some reason there were a lot of scallops available. Um Do they taste different there? 
Is there no. like a terroir? No, the Just oysters are different. The oysters yeah. are definitely different. Like I love, <laughs> I, I had some really great like Tasmanian oysters. Tasmanian oysters are like some of my favorite oysters. Everybody who knows me knows that I'm like an oyster geek. And Tasmanian oysters are some of the best oysters that I've ever found. I feel like they are the combination of like the creamy sweetness of like West Coast oysters and the harsh brininess of East Coast oysters, like Northeast oysters, in one oyster. Like these Tasmanian oysters are just phenomenal. So I crushed like lots of those. Um, well, you're so big on only eating local oysters, so oysters are one you of those need things. To go, if you're there, you have to eat as many as possible because yeah. you're not again. Yeah, I mean, oysters taste like where they were grown, and it's it's one of those things where when I if I'm in a place that oysters are nearby, I'm gonna taste oysters because it tastes like you know the the waters in which they were grown, which I mean I love, and that changes from. I mean, it, it really, you can taste the difference of oysters that were grown a mile away from each other. Like, if it, just different salinity in the water, different type of water, all of that stuff. So, yeah, I geek out about oysters with that stuff. So, yes, went to Australia, ate some oysters, ate lots of seafood. Um, some toasties. I ate lots of toasties. My kids love toasties. Just, you know, pressed sandwiches, toasted grilled cheese sandwiches, pretty much. Um, oh, I found my favorite concept for a restaurant in Oh, Australia. you haven't told me this. I haven't. It's the surfy. So in Australia, on lots of the beaches, there was never like official lifeguards. Like the towns never really paid for lifeguards. There's not like an official lifeguard or the life-saving service. So a long time ago, a bunch of people got together in their individual towns and they started these life-saving clubs. So basically, it's lifeguards, right? Now, because these were not really officially sanctioned by the town, they were all volunteers that would do this. And they didn't get, you know, they don't get any money from the government or anything like that to be lifeguards. So what they do is they do lots of fundraisers. And one of the big things in these different beach communities that they do is they operate a restaurant. Restaurant run by lifeguards right on the beach and like staffed by like 16 year olds. And it was the best. I flew into Port Douglas, which is up by the great barrier reef in Australia. Was this um, a recommendation to you or is this something that you just like stumbled upon? I looked it up and I looked up, like I had my kids with me. So I was like, I want just like a low key. We just flew in. It was dark out. Like I just want to find a low key place, like right by my hotel that we could walk to with the kids. And everybody on Yelp and they, whatever they use over there, they don't like Yelp over there. They use something else. I forget what it is. It might have been a TripAdvisor. But everyone on TripAdvisor said the best low-key dinner that you can get is at the Surfy. And I was like, what's the Surfy? And it was like the Port Douglas Lifesaving Club. And it's a building where the lifeguards hang out. And in the back, there's you know the, the clubhouse for the lifeguards. But out front, it's just a bunch of tables like on the beach with lights around them, like a legitimate beach dive restaurant but you go and you get a bucket of prawns and like a lobster and you know i had this gigantic steak wagyu steak and it was like 20 dollars american and you just eat eat it on the beach with a bucket of prawns and a mai tai made by a 16 year old and it's my favorite new restaurant concept i love it we could do that out east we could do that in uh in washington heights right no but out (laughs) east we can 
Washington Heights are still paying Manhattan rent, let me tell you. The, you know my favorite places like to go to out east are places like that. Like the you know, like my favorite the North Fork Oysters, um, you know, the uh, the Little Creek Oyster Bar that, out there. That, that's the best thing in the world. I mean, that's picture that except on a beach that has, you know, waves like surfing beach and you know, just run by sixteen year olds. So you're drinking run by lifeguards, I should say. So that's the vibe. And that is my favorite type of vibe. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good move. I think that's a good idea. Do you have a piece of, of food news for over the summer? Because I have something like that I would was wanting to discuss with you over the summer, um, but we no. haven't been on the air. No? no what's up? Like, this, is, this was the summer of White Claw. Oh, like, okay. I could talk about this uh, for hours and hours and hours. Like, okay. this, it, it just, I mean, what have happened? Have you had one? Tom, have you had one? I mean, yeah, it's eh. I had a okay. sip of one. It's okay. Wait, was it was it a white claw or was it a not white claw? Was it no, like a different art seltzer? I had a truly, which okay. I did not. I did not like, and I had a white yeah. claw, which was better than the truly. But I was like, I don't understand why I would want to drink a Zima. I mean, that's what it is. It's a Zima. It's a carbonated I, Zima. I love seltzer. I don't particularly like flavored seltzer. Uh huh. But White Claw, I felt like wasn't too sh- truly is way too syrupy. White Claw, I felt wasn't that sugary or anything. It's just like lightly flavored. Um, but holy shit, did it come on quick or what? It was like in the spring, people yeah, were having White that, Claws, and then all of a summer, all of a sudden, this summer, everyone is crushing claws. Yeah, but that, that's just like food trends. Like it's how things get hot. I want to talk to their marketing people. I want to know how they accomplished this. Because it was, I mean, there were white claw shortages. It was, it was crazy. This was the summer of the claw. I, I have the best part. Um, when I was out in Riverhead this summer for a long weekend. Uh, Riverhead going... is like uh, Eastern Long Island, like where the North Fork and the South Fork split. For those of you who are listening from out of town. Yeah. So we're driving to pick up like all the stuff that we're going to need. And we're going to get beer and white claw. And <clears throat> as soon as you open the door. All the way on the other side of the little gas station beer shop thing, refrigerator that's facing the door, right in the middle is all the White Claw. So as soon as you open the door to get inside, the first thing you see is White Claw. It was insane. Like I lived through the malt liquor, the malt beverages days, because that's what this is. This is just, it's malt beverage. Yes. You know, I and I lived through... The 90s when everybody was drinking those or like, and I lived through the wine cooler days when everyone was drinking those. And were people ever really drinking like that much Smirnoff ice? Not in the United States. In Europe. Like those things are like objectively not good, but White Claws taste pretty good. I think the most boring drink in the world is just like the vodka soda, you know? So, and that's what that is. It's a vodka soda, but just pared down. People That's aren't drinking of... vodka sodas to be interesting. No, they're I drinking know. vodka sodas because they're on a mission. Maybe it's because I don't get it. And maybe it's because, like, maybe because of the internet. Like, all of a sudden, everyone knows that everyone's drinking claw and no one's ashamed of drinking claw. Like, there was always a little bit of shame in drinking a Zima so, or a Smirnoff okay. Ice or something like that. Now there's no shame. Now it's like. Millennials it's don't give a fuck. Well, millennials don't give a fuck about that. But. But yeah, they, I mean, like you can't shame me for my drink. If I want to go and drink like a cosmopolitan, I'm going to drink a cosmopolitan. It's what I want. I understand that, and that's that's great. Yeah. 
But I, I yeah, I don't know. It, maybe it's we had this right just mix of culture for to to create the explosion of the claw. But now what I also love now is everybody jumping on the bandwagon. There are so everyone's putting alcohol in in everything. So like who has like Pabst has a uh a, like um, a hard seltzer Nat- and no, no, no. uh Natty Light has um <laughs> Natterday's pink lemonade, I think it is. And Four Loco made like a joke one, like a they photoshopped like a fourteen percent joke uh hard seltzer that everyone's like, Oh no, you need to do this and I think they might do it, but I didn't I know wonder, that that was a joke. I thought that they actually did that. I wonder after the summer if it's – like if anyone is going to keep drinking these. I don't know. Well, is it – so like if you go – like I remember I would go to a party when I was in my 20s and there would be, you know, cases of shitty cheap beer, you know, Bud Light, Coors Light, and that was it. Like now when you go to parties like that, is it Bud Light, Coors Light, and White Claw? Or is the Bud Light um, and Coors Light yes. gone and it's just this, White Claw? This summer it was definitely uh, – cases of white claw yeah we wow. we were playing um giant jenga it was like i don't know it was like eight people seven people i didn't know any of them and they're like okay what's loser have to do and some guy said something like a little sexual and definitely stupid i was like no loser has to take a knee and crush a claw <laughs> <laughs> all right all right and that's that's i didn't lose and that's what the loser did they how much how much do you think the branding has to do like the name White Claw, like no, no? I definitely I, think I, that I, that has to do it with like. If Truly and White Claw were switched, the names, uh-huh. the product was this, the juice was the same. I would have said you have to take a, you have to take a knee and crush it. Truly, yeah, I don't know. I think White Claw is a really good name for sure. White Claw is a very good name. Yeah, and I think that that. Um, like you know that the the toxic masculinity that mitigates a little bit of toxic toxic masculinity right there. Like if you're some you know toxic male that's afraid of drinking a malt beverage, um, if it's called White Claw, that probably helps you out a little bit. In high school, when we played beer pong, uh-huh. these kids would re-rack the cups to make an X with five cups, so like three one way and two on the other side, one in the middle, and they would call it a smoky five, which. They one, it's a terrible thing to have your re rack used as it's not useful. Two, <laughs> it's a stupid name, but they thought it was a super cool name, so they we just kept calling it. Okay, so the same thing with White Claw. That's it. That, <laughs> I, was ma- just, I was wondering uh, where that was going. <laughs> Smoky Five. All right, well, I think we should move on because <laughs> we, we got a lot I, to I get to today. Talk about White Claw for hours. I know, I know, apparently. Um, <laughs> But we've we've got like for our first show back, we've got an awesome show. We've got two, two guests. Yeah, two guests. So um, coming up next is um, we've got Georgia Capro Caparuski. Oh my gosh, I've said it great. Yesterday. I, I know Caparuscio. She's um, the queen of Neapolitan pizza in New York, and this is so. This is a very pizza centric episode, um, and she's also good at participating in the New York Pizza Festival which is coming up. And then we have um, Chai Mishra, who is the founder and CEO of a really awesome food company that's trying to, I hate the word disrupt, but trying to disrupt the supermarket game. It's like an online food retailer, and that is not even doing it justice. It's a great interview, and you should listen to what he's doing. Um, So 
I don't know, Mike. Anything you want to add? I think in like five years we're gonna be like, yeah, we had Chai Mishra on before anyone knew who he fucking was. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. He was, he's, and it's a great concept. I love the idea, and he's just a fun dude to talk to. So, all right, well, we'll be back. And uh, thanks for listening to the Not a Foodie Show. Hey, follow us, follow us at Not a Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram. We're gonna take a break, and then I'm gonna roll these interviews. So, um, that's it. Talk to you in a bit. Thanks for tuning in to the Not a Foodie Show. As always, it's Mike Maranti. The Not a Foodie Podcast. We are not. You don't have to tune in anymore on the radio. This is this is pure podcast content. It's muscle memory. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mike, we got a guest on the line, right? Yes, uh, a really really cool guy, uh, Chai Mishra. How do you know Chai? Um, his email. First of all, hi Chai. Hi Chai. Hey guys. How you doing? <laughs> Hey, I know Chai because he leaves his uh, cell phone number for strangers to text him. <laughs> um, Chai Mishra <laughs> is the CEO and founder of ShopMove.co, which is going to be everywhere in a few years. It's a supermarket disruptor. I'm very, very excited for them. I found out about it from an Instagram ad, and I never click on Instagram <laughs> ads, but it was captivating enough where I was like, oh, okay, let me check this out. And I read the uh, the first page and everything, and I was pretty much all in. I sent it to you. I sent it, you being Tom, I sent it to um, some, my roommate, some friends. I was like, I'm pretty in on this. And then I got an email after I signed up, and it was like, or signed up for the newsletter. And it's like, oh, any questions? Text our founder at blah, 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 blah. So I was like at home from work at like 12 at night. I was just like, hey man, I have a food culture podcast. Would you want to come on the show? Mike's doing bong rips and texting people <laughs> on the internet. It's like, pretty pretty so, much how I book everybody. So, so Chai, Mike did a good job of explaining how, how he got in touch with you, but what is Move? What is shopmove.co? Well, I should, I should leave by saying this is even though I am the founder CEO of move, I actually, on my business card, it says what Mike said about me. It just says a really cool guy. Uh, <laughs> I do that. And then I, I give out my cell phone number. No, but uh, thank you so much for having me on the podcast guys. Uh, what Mike did not mention to be the modest guy uh, is that I'm actually a big fan of the podcast too. Oh, so a, stop it. exciting for me. <laughs> no, I, I am. I'm not just saying that. Uh, what would be hilarious is you listen to me on other podcasts, and I always start the same way. Uh, no, I don't. I, I, I Joe really Rogan, I love you. Podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Those, those are the two podcasts I'm doing. But um, thank you so much for having me, guys. Um, and yeah, I think uh, Mike did a pretty fantastic job with the intro. Um, I'll, I'll add just a couple of sentences to it, which is, you know, founder of this company, Move. And at Move, what we're trying to build is a new supermarket. We saw the supermarket world at a larger level. We just saw the, the, the food world. And I know this is something you guys deal with a lot uh, on this podcast, but we saw that it's, it's this weirdly um, polarized dumbbell shaped world uh, where on one side, you've got the big food companies of the world. You know, I mean, half the food industry is controlled by three or four big companies. You've got those folks and, uh, They've kind of lost the script over the last 30 or so years. I mean, if you look at um, basically since the 80s, um, where they've been investing most of their time, where they've been investing most of the money, or even where most of their team has been growing, um, it's really marketing and it's branding. There pretty much has been zero growth in actually making better quality products or making these products more affordable. Um, so you've got that's one side of the market. 
where you've got these gigantic, um, you know, what's called big food. And they're pretty much entirely focused on uh, how do you get somebody to think that a product is high quality? How do you get somebody to, to think that a product is fairly priced and pretty much zero focus on how do you actually make a product that's better quality? That's why a supermarket today looks identical to what it did 20 years ago, probably even 30 years ago. Uh, the products in there, the quality of the products really hasn't improved. Tom, uh, do supermarkets look the same like they did 30 years ago? Me and Chai weren't alive, so we wouldn't know. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. I, I think that you hit on a great point, though. I think, so, yes, essentially the supermarket looks exactly the same, um, mm-hmm. but there are more... As it did 30 years ago? Yes, Thank the, you. Yeah, yes, there right. are more quality products, or there are more products <laughs> that are there because tastes have changed. You know, so you, you didn't find yeah. hummus in the supermarket 30 years ago, but now you find hummus, but they're all made by, you know... Boar's, one, head, like, Boar's head chocolate hummus is yeah, like, anti-Semitic. <laughs> I'm, I'm just it, it not is. going there. I'm not touching that one. But, but I feel like... So So as tastes have changed over the years, right? Like, people's, people's yeah. knowledge of food has expanded dramatically over the past 30 years. And, you know, you'll, you'll see products in, in stores, but I know that if I want a quality product, I usually don't get it at my local big supermarket. I'll have to go to a specialty shop to find something of quality. So I, exactly. I absolutely understand what you're so, saying. And what, what, so what are you guys, how are you guys tackling this? Yeah, I, I think you, you sort of, um, you, you kind of nailed it. I should start taking you with me. Um, whenever you're free, Wait, to, whenever you want us to do sponsored content for you, because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just communicated what I what was going to take me ten minutes in the most succinct, beautiful way. Uh, but that, that's that's really exactly it. Which is, so you've got this one side of the market that's entirely focused on just churning products out with pretty much no emphasis on quality, and then you've got this totally other side of the market. Which I mean, you guys live in New York. I, I live in San Francisco. We have access to. Um, it's this very tiny, closed off, um, you know, neatly walled off world of, of great food that um, pretty much doesn't care about um, access and doesn't care about how many people can actually get it. But to their credit, are incredibly focused on making better products, incredibly focused on getting higher quality. Um, but they've lost the script in a completely different part of the business, which is you actually need to be able to get the product to people. Um, and we saw this really weird gulf. Um, and, you know, if you think about, I think, I think you're totally right, Tom, about how tastes have been changing a lot. Tastes of uh, consumers have actually been on it the whole time. Consumers are constantly demanding new things. People want to try new stuff. Uh, I mean, we have a new iPhone. Every, we have like two new iPhones every single year. And, uh, and it, you just think about all the work that goes into making a great iPhone uh, and think about how, compared to that, how little technological development needs to happen to make great chocolate hummus or whatever, whatever Mike <laughs> approves of, right? Right. Uh, and it's, um, and it, 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 it's just the, 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 the speed of innovation does not track is a big idea. I think consumers are, are on it. Consumers want new products and supermarkets have lagged behind in this really terrible way. Um, they, they, and not, not just because I think they've lagged behind. You can compare them to other retailers. You can compare them to other retailers. You can compare them to, to other, um, just other consumer companies, things like that. You're really, really behind the eight ball. Um, so the big thing for us was, to answer your question, the big question was, well, can we get uh, quality from one side of the spectrum? Can we get, uh, can we get a Michelin chef? Or can we get uh, the greatest vinegar uh, from Spain, rosé vinegar from Spain? And then can we make it dramatically more affordable? Can we make it more accessible to people? So, you know, we, we kind of have a hand on both sides of the equation. 
the big thing for us is we, we run this dual exercise at all times at the company, which is we're going out, finding the greatest version of any given product. We're going to sell vinegar. Then let's do a worldwide search, try to find who's, who's doing work that's really exceptional, who's doing some really great stuff, um, and then work with them to bring the product directly to consumers. And the way we're able to make that product more affordable, the way we're able to make it more accessible is uh, there's about 17 middlemen. Uh, that sounds like an exaggeration. It just sounds like a number I'm throwing out, but there tends to be about between seven to 17 middlemen between a producer and the actual uh, consumer. And uh, the question is, well, if we just wipe all of those middlemen out, we wipe out all of the little uh, uh, waste and the, all the inefficiency, all the exploitation in the supply chain, we can actually get some pretty incredible products. We can make them dramatically more accessible. So uh, that, that's how we do it, is we go directly to the producer, we work with them to make a great product, and then we go directly to the consumer. Uh, and we cut out pretty much everything else. Yeah, and one of the things that was um, that was sort of striking to me when I went to do a little bit of research is, you know, all of your products are there's no labels, there's no it's all oh, black the and white. Like, beautiful. The, there's no branding. I mean, there there is no the branding is beautiful because there is yeah. no branding, right? Like it's it's so, olive oil from this area, and and that's about it. Is that you know? So when you think about that, when you think about that along the supply chain line. Like you think of the person that had to get paid to design a label, mm -hmm. you think of the money that had to be spent to print the labels, to put things in bottles that looked pretty and things like that. Um, you're just eliminating all of that, right? Yeah. Um, I, I love this podcast. One of the big reasons I love it is because it's one food person and one marketing person. It's basically everything you guys talk about is, <laughs> is what I dream about at night anyway. That's the two worlds that I'm in. Uh, but yeah, so that, that's, that's exactly it. If you think about how a product, you know, what, what is going into the packaging of a product today in a supermarket? Um, and the, the fascinating thing is supermarkets are actually different from most retailers in this regard. If you walk into um, an Abercrombie store, I don't know why I picked the douchiest brand in the world. Let's just stick with it. If you <laughs> walk into an Abercrombie store, right, um, the Abercrombie shirts aren't having to compete on the shelves with J. Crew shirts. I'm just going to stick to the douchebag theme over here. So you're not having to compete with uh, with different brands on the shelves and trying to get Sorry. a customer's mm -hmm. attention. Um, that's very different from when you walk into a supermarket. When you walk into Whole Foods or Safeway, each brand of hummus Is has there? to compete with every other brand of hummus. And so th the, the packaging design isn't really pointed towards what's most intuitive, what's most transparent. It's pointed towards how do you stand out on the shelf. And it's become this insane race to the bottom where uh, it's become incredibly twitchy. It's become incredibly uh, knee-jerky packaging design. Because all you're trying to do is just that when a person's walking by in a daze uh, through the aisles of a supermarket, that somehow your shade of yellow is brighter than the other shades of yellow. And you just go, oh, my God, maybe I should get this. And it's just this really terrible, um, again, regression that's happened where we've become entirely focused on just standing out or just, just seeming special and not actually making a product that's special. So we wanted to dial it back completely. I would have loved to, if the FDA had allowed me, I would have loved to just ship uh, packaging with nothing on it. Uh, <laughs> but the FDA won't let me do that. So uh, we wanted to go dial it back as much as humanly possible. And we wanted every letter on that packaging, every piece of design to mean something. It needed to have some kind of substance. If it was just filler, that we're just trying to sell uh, with that, then we just took it out. And the, the reason we could do that, just to close this up quickly, is um, because we don't have to compete on the shelves. We sell only our own brand of product. And uh, when a customer holds the packaging, they've already bought it. So I'm not still trying to sell somebody on my uh, 
uh, on my hummus when they open up the hummus. They bought it already. And so we're completely just focused on what is actually the best for the consumer. You, what do they need to know? What makes experience better? Not on how do we stand out. You are entirely behind the product. You're sourcing the product and saying this is the best product. And I the proof is literally in the pudding. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. No, that's that's great. So right now you are in you're in Kickstarter mode, right? Is that what's happening? That's right. Great. So I mean, we what, are doing. I was just I was just going to say so. Like, when are you? I mean, like, what's what's the plan for launch and and how does it work? What's the business model? Yeah, two part launch for us. Um, and what we're at right now is we're at step one of two. Um, step one is go out and build a large membership base. Um, we are. It's worth mentioning we are going to be a members only store, and a lot of reasons why we could go into. But um, we're going to be a members-only store, and step one for us is go out and build a large base of members, uh, and then step two is open up the store to them. And the reason that we're doing this, the reason we're on Kickstarter, the reason we're building a membership base in the first place, because you know most most companies don't do that. Most companies you could just sort of launch on day one. You have one customer. Day two, you have two customers. You sort of go from there. Um, we're taking a very different approach. We're building a base before we actually launch. And the reason for it is um, as much as we are a food company and as much as we're a brand. We're really a supply chain company too, or value chain company. And what happens is when we build a membership base before the store opens, on day one of the store opening, consumers are already witnessing and, and, and benefiting from economies of scale. On day one, the products are already very high quality. The products are already very fairly priced. The products are uh, already delivered in the fastest way possible. All of that is sort of unlocked from, uh, from day one. And that's, that's why we're doing it that way. Instead of just launching cold and then going from there, we're actually launching with a membership base and then scaling up from there. So when do you plan on doing the actual launch, like where people can buy stuff? That's going to be 2020, February 2020. February 2020. So we're building up a membership base right now. If any of your listeners are, are interested, uh, the move over here is that's not, that was an unintentional uh, reference to the name of the company, <laughs> but... The move over here is to get a membership right now. They can get it for less, and they can get access to. Is it okay that I'm shamelessly plugging? No, that's absolutely. why you're here, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Shamelessly I plug. I don't want to ruin the the sanctity of the show. No, uh, we'll we'll we'll, we'll hit you up for. Uh, I was gonna say we'll hit you up for sponsorship dollars after you uh, after you you know complete your Kickstarter and have a lot of money. <laughs> I actually <laughs> wait. Chai, I messed up on the website. I paid that dollar to reserve my spot. But then I did yeah. it through Kickstarter and not through the Kickstarter dollar reser reservation link. <laughs> so Mike wants a free oh, okay. hat or something. So the stuff that oh, you okay. get, I still want. I just didn't <laughs> do it totally the right way. But I figure we have a, a pretty decent relationship where it'll, we can fix this. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're mutual fans. We, we yeah. admire each other. So, yeah. <laughs> well, now that uh, I, yeah, I was going to try to scam you out of the, the, the special, but now that you've, you've done it, enough. Uh, on national podcast yeah. radio, I don't know what the word is, but on the podcastosphere, I can't, I can't uh, slime you out of it, man. I got, I got to give it to you. Correct. But, uh, yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> But, but yeah, yeah no, exactly right. I was just going to say, plug away. Um, um, we're sort of running out of time, but yeah, tell our listeners, you know, how to, you know, how to find out more about you and, and what they can do to sort of reserve their spot. Absolutely. So um, the thing to do is right now we're offering memberships only on Kickstarter. And if you go to Kickstarter and you look up, you can look up Move or you can look up brand new supermarket. And we're probably on the homepage right now because we're doing pretty well. 
Um, and you go there and you're able to get a membership. You're able to get it for less than half the cost that people will pay once the store is actually open. And two, you're able to get into the store months before anyone else. Um, so that's the reason to go out and back the Kickstarter. And the, the, big, the biggest point really is we, we treat our members in a very different way than I think how most companies sort of treat their customers. Um, and it, it, that's not just a platitude that I'm throwing out. We actually do things that uh, we, we treat members as this very equal part of developing the, the supermarket. That's another reason that we're doing this pre-launch and not just launching is once you back the Kickstarter, you're part of this small group of people is actually helping build a supermarket and helping bring it to market. So we're constantly going to our members and, uh, and asking questions and saying, hey, we're comparing three different cold brew coffees. We're going to send out samples and we want to hear which one you think is the best. We're comparing three different olive oils and we want you to tell us which one you think is the best. So the, the, the long story short over here is please go to Kickstarter. Please back move. You can get a membership for less than, and, uh, less than anyone else and you can get access to move months before everyone else. Awesome. Um, and also I will love you forever if you do that. <laughs> Shai, thanks for, thanks for calling in. Um, this is when Mike brought this to my attention, I was like, this is really cool. And then Mike's like, Oh, I texted him and he's going to come on. And I was very excited. So I, I love the idea. Um, I can't wait to see, you know, where this all goes. And if you make it out to the East coast for work, please don't be a stranger. Let us know. Yes. So do, do you guys do recurring guests on the show yet? I mean, We've had a few. We have had a few, and and we have no problem, you know, for with you coming back on again. <laughs> Can I? Uh, I want to be the Alec Baldwin. How Alec Baldwin is on comedians in cars. I would like to be <laughs> the one person where anytime somebody cancels, they give a call to Alec Baldwin. I, I'd like to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's at twenty minutes. I get a text from Mike saying, "Hey man, could you do this?" And I, uh, yeah, please. Uh, I this was great. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Uh, Good luck with the podcast. You're killing it, and know that you have a listener forever and ever. So I will always be listening. Uh, All right. Thank you. Trashing me at some point, know that I will listen and I will cry. All right. All right. Now that Jai's off the phone, let's talk. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) All right, Jai. Thanks thanks very much for calling in. And, uh, you know, we got to take a break now. So thanks for listening to the Not a Foodie podcast. Foodie. 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 Mike, we've got a guest in the studio today. Hello. Hi. <laughs> We've got Georgia Caparucio. Yes. I got it. It, it took yeah. Tom 10 practices off air to get that down, <laughs> being coached by Georgia. I know. But I'm, it worked. I'm ashamed. I mean, I'm three quarters Italian and I still can't pronounce it. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you pro- your pronunciation is really good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, um, Georgia is the queen of Neapolitan pizza, and I, I didn't Master make that pizza up. Iowa. I did not make that up. It comes from um, comes from your website, actually. From they <laughs> she's, they she's... told me they told me that. Okay, <laughs> I don't call myself the queen. I mean, come on, you got to own it. If someone calls you a queen, you have to call yourself yes. a queen. <laughs> one day, maybe one day. <laughs> so, um, uh, Georgia, you're at um, Keste Pizza in Vino, correct? Yes. Where Where is that? So basically, we have two locations. Mm-hmm. The first one that we open is um, Bleecker Street between six and seven. We opened that ten years ago. Wow. Yes, and uh, after we have the last one that we opened two years ago, that is in Fulton Street between uh, Fulton and Gold downtown Manhattan. Oh, great! And we have another location with a different name, but we are same. Uh, it's uh, called Don Antonio, and it's a midtown, 50 between 8 and 9. 
and oh, that's nice. So this is a this is a family business for you. When you say we, this is your family, yes. right? Yes. So so who is it? Is it your father? Yes. Or? My father came twenty years ago in the United States, mm-hmm. not the American dreams. <laughs> and uh, and after I came uh, ten years ago. So when just I finished high school. So what is the difference between Neapolitan style and New York City style pizza? So you can see right away when you see a Neapolitan pizza that this individual size um, have thin pizza and puffy crust, really puffy. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, the, what you see right away. Uh, but behind that is a lot more. And uh, it's a fermentation, it's a product, it's a oven, it's a lot of that. Mike knows I am a I am a little bit of a geek when it comes to fermentation. I mean, I just handed Mike a bottle of hot sauce that's <laughs> Do you want to fer- try it? Fermented. Uh, it's not that hot. It's only no, a little hot. I, I love sauce, but not hot sauce. <laughs> not, not Sorry, hot sauce. guys. It's cherry peppers and garlic and vinegar. So it's a it's a I I designed it to be a very Italian flavored hot sauce. Wow. But anyway, it's fermented, and um. I am a little bit obsessed with when I try to make pizza dough at home and okay. doing the fermentation um, as much as I possibly can. But it's it's sort of it's an art and a science yes. together. Yes. So uh, what what do you get when you um, ferment a dough? Like, what's the big difference with a ferment fermented Fermenta- dough? Yes. Yeah. So basically, w- the fermentation uh, is uh, when you do at home. We always suggest, also in the restaurant, we always suggest to do for more than twelve hours. Wow. So at 12 least, hours, uh, you just let it sit out at room temperature? We always suggest to do sit down at room temperature, yes. But if it's the first, you, this is your first time that you do uh, kind of the dough, I always suggest to do a few hours at room temperature and after when you go to bed, put it just inside the refrigerator mm-hmm. so it's kind of slow down and you have more control of the dough. And what does that do? What does the fermentation So fermenting is basically is the action of the salt and uh, more of the time, most of the time is the yeast and uh, the uh, flour. Basically, it's the mix of that. They mm-hmm. incorporate little by little. They eat each other. Yeah. They, yeah. they eat each other they and, they, the and they burp out sugar. bubbles. They yes. burp yeah. out gases yes. and... That's what causes, you know, the big uh, crusty bubbles. Yes. And so you've got this really tangy inside yeah. of dough. That is the, you know, m- uh, the magical stuff I go. <laughs> I, yes. I've never made my own pizza dough. Never? No. But now I have, I moved up to uh, Hamilton Heights. So wow. I have a whole island now. <laughs> And I cooking is a kitchen island. It. It's, yeah. it's totally yeah. different. My life's totally changed. I mean, so. you're you're the queen of Neapolitan pizza. He is the king of his kitchen island that he has <laughs> right there. He's got his I own. I will have you. No worry. No worry. Yeah, I will have like, you. I will come glad. to you. Uh, you know, I'll give you the, my recipe. Um, We're we, about to be doing video content, so yeah. I'm, <laughs> so basically, what we do. Um, in our restaurant is we teach customers mm-hmm. how to make it uh, the dough at home. Uh, so that yeah, I read something about that. You teach pizza classes yeah, as well. Yeah. Oh, that's great! And you do it at at the restaurant at Kessie. Yes, or? in the new location because, down on Fulton. Yes, because I was really excited to open that location because finally we have a space that we have customers close to us. Finally, and everybody asked me or asked my father, you know, what is our secrets, how we can do this kind of do at home. And finally, we kind of build this kind of class all together. 
And so I teach adults and also I teach kids how to make oh, pizza. Oh, that's great. That's yes. great. I mean, kids love pizza. And Yes. And now every day I found a kid or, you know, a class that is coming and they already know how to make pizza. So the kids teach me how to make the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think this is something that we brushed over. We didn't really talk about this, but you you're not just, you know, an, a family business owner. Like you're you are a legitimately trained master, in master pizzaiola. Pizzaiola, correct? Yes. 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 Basically, um since I arrived over here, uh, that was ten years ago you yes. said? Okay. More or less nine we said uh, two thousand nine. Let's make it a decade. Yeah. That's good. And I have my father to teach a professional people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started more or less seven years ago. Uh, but my father started before, a lot before me. Uh, I help him to help other people. They come to us. Uh, they want to open a kind of restaurant similar to what we have mm-hmm. in all different states. So almost in each state, we have friends that open a cl- like similar place. And um, and now we, we was kind of tiny place uh, we wo- where we was teaching and uh, we want a bigger place we want to teach more than you know professional people so we find out you know the bigger place but yes i am teach other people uh, that is my dreams basically is it is to open up a pizza at school <laughs> yeah oh well, Nap- naples is home to like this world famous pizza oh, yeah. school oh yeah I, I, the, which name i don't know but i don't I know, know about the name the, either but the, i know that there's you know, the certification yeah and, they have yeah. a different name a different association different you know now everybody wants to teach other people so it's kind of it's kind of tricky how to you know define the real and a good school for make pizza but <laughs> yes you can find a lot nice i well i mean i think that you opening up that sort of a place in New York, especially to teach kids, is, yeah. I mean, that's got to be amazing. But um, but also, you know, now you've got that market. Like, you've got that New York City geeky pizza maker market. You could be the, Na- New York is now the Naples of yes. the United well, States. They, you no, know, there was a quote that said there's more Neapolitan-style pizzerias in New York City than, like, anywhere. Well, because Naples or, is small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Naples is tiny. Uh, I think so. Is a something between, you know, Naples and New York have a lot, uh, you know, similar things together. And really, you know, a lot of the first Neapolitan people come in in Mm -hmm. the United States, they come in New York. So it's kind of a lot, it's kind of, I say, it is, uh, we create kind of bridge between these two cities. Yes. And that is... What is you know, New York is bigger, but they have a lot pizza place, and Naples is small city kind of, but have a lot of pizzeria. <laughs> in one street that you can find maybe six or seven. Wow, a little yeah. So, <laughs> well, so coming from Naples, are you a a pizza purist? Are you just like you know? So basically, I come. I'm not coming from Naples. So that was the kind of people say, "Oh, you're non Neapolitan." Between me and my father, we can you cannot make Neapolitan pizza, but I think it's not true. No, that's uh, silly. That's yes. very silly. So I come from one hour uh, north from Naples, so one hour south of Rome. So. I, Perfect in between. Okay. Um, the area where we come from is really famous from cheese. So my father was cheese maker. What's the area? What, yeah. What city? What? Is a uh, called Latina, oh. and um, Latina. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Really simple name. Um, so that area is really famous from 
the production of milk. So the production, the area where they you can find uh, uh, cow milk is really big. Mm-hmm. But is uh, we start basically our city is one of the first area. So my father was cheesemaker before. Wow. And uh, so for us, it was kind of. Like show up everybody that you can make a really good product, really good Neapolitan pizza, besides that you're coming from Naples or not. Gotcha. So do you, I mean, I know in Naples it's very, you know, a pizza is this. It's, you know, the sauce, the cheese, the bread is a certain way. Yes. Uh, no toppings, right? I mean, but. You... I know, tricky, uh, you yeah. know. But, the, <laughs> you know, I when I, you know, when I teach uh, people, I always say that in Italy we have pizza with French fries on the top. <laughs> so it's kind of, we're not allowed to put not a lot. Not in Naples, though. Yes. yes? Also oh, in wow. Naples. <laughs> so it's not really tradition, but we cannot say. But we can do that. Basically, you can put a lot of toppings. You can put whatever toppings you can put you want on the pizza. But the important thing is uh, um, the, the Neapolitan pizza is really soft. So mm-hmm. it's a maximum topping so you can put on mm-hmm. the top. Yeah, and I think that's that's key, right? Like, I feel like I'm I'm pretty much okay with you putting almost anything on pizza um, as long as the structural integrity yes. of the pizza so, holds up. So yeah. where I work, we have a pizzeria. And uh-huh. they do a, a Nutella dessert pizza. Yeah. And they bake the dough, and then they put Nutella, and then they put ricotta. And I don't consider that pizza. That's a dessert. That's a cookie. I, I consider that like a flatbread or yeah, yeah like that's a, a pastry. I wouldn't because you're not baking it together. Right. But my favorite pizza in the city is uh, um, Danny's House of Pizza in Kew Gardens, Queens. Okay. So they do a pesto style pizza, pesto okay. sauce, and the Italians I work with argue with me that that's not pizza. Oh, and I'm it's like, pizza. listen, it's dough and then sauce and then cheese and they bake it together. It's literally pizza. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people say, uh, you know, everybody have his own version of pizza, I think. Right. And New York is what is the capital of that because we are super lucky. We can find so many different kind of pizza, different style, different way to make pizza. And I think why, you know, everybody have a chance, everybody have a space in this city. So this is why I think I love, you know, to stay in New York and make pizza. Well, speaking of New mm-hmm. York City and pizza in New York City, um, I got a note here that says the uh, that you're participating in the second annual New York Pizza Festival. Yes, we are super excited. So that takes place in, I think it's next weekend, October 5th and 6th. I don't know when this is going to air, yes. but October 5th and 6th. Yes. Um, so what is that? What's the New York Pizza Festival? So it's a, a huge and unique festival that we create. Uh, we are not recreate. Be, be, Create, we recreate mm-hmm. basically. Um, it's a festival that uh, is they do in Naples for a long time ago, and we want to bring the festival in uh, the real Little Italy, uh, which <laughs> is the Bronx. All right, the boogie down represent. Yes, and um, it's a really two days. You can find all different kind of pizza from United States, and there are coming also. Um, six pizza maker, one of the best pizza maker from Naples here. So basically, what I say before, is this festival is kind of bridge between Naples and New York. Oh, I love it. I yes. love it. And there's going to be, so so it's a free 
entry, right? Like it's free to go so to the festival and then you can buy tickets yes, for pizza? Yes, you can buy tickets in the website from the festival mm-hmm. and uh, they have a different option. So it depends what kind, how many slices you want and they have a different price. And also you can have VIP where you can find and you can try all different kind of uh, pizza. Oh, of wow. course, it's a limit, but uh, I always suggest to use that because it's really, you can find a lot of pizzeria from New York, but also from Chicago, from Denver, and of course, from Naples. Go big or go home. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to go to a pizza festival, be a VIP at a pizza yeah. festival. That's what I have to say. I still won't consider Chicago pizza pizza, though. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's not that's not something I could be. Yeah, served. I mean, oh, you mean like the the pub style where it's like cracked. No, that's pe- like Midwest pizza. No, that's, it's Chicago too. It's Chicago does that too. Yeah, yeah. but Which I'm talking also about like the, the, the casserole. The, yeah. No, Midwest pizza is the the, the St. Louis style pizza, right? That's the thin cracker crust, and then there's Detroit style, and yeah, I mean, there's. So I many think it's styles. a lot of different style there. Some I just people... like to make fun of Chicago. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> It's a lot of different style that you can not even imagine or we don't even know. You know, ca- maybe cauliflower dough, they consider it a pizza. So. Oh, the cauliflower crust? Yeah. yeah. Oh. So, <laughs> well, I, I, I urge everybody to go check it out. It's um, nycpizzafestival.com. Um, you can go buy your tickets. And everybody needs to go check out Keste yeah. Pizza and Vino and learn how to make pizza. Thank and, you. Yeah. We have also another booth where it says, uh, we can make uh, also fried pizza. So. Oh, I love fried pizza. Uh, yes, guys. Yeah, a little, it, oh, I'm yes. so excited. So you can find uh, beside like every kind of style, every kind of pizza that you like, you can find in basically in one street. So that is the, I think... Uh, what is the unique and what is the mag- the magical that we for the festival? And uh, I hope to see everybody over there. It literally <laughs> sounds like heaven. I someone's yes. like, there's one street yeah. where every sort of pizza exists. I'm like, oh, heaven, yes. Okay. Yeah. Is this heaven? <laughs> no, it's the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love to see over there. You know, now is the second year, so I think it's gonna be more busy than the first year. So, and of course, it's a drink. You can buy a drink over there, and so you can enjoy more. Also, if you haven't been to Little Italy, the Little Italy of the Bronx, the real Little Italy in New York, sorry to offend other Little Italy's in this the, area. The two but blocks I mean, of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. But that is, that is a blast. I mean, I, like, yeah. I grew up, my, my family there. grew up in the Bronx. Like, I didn't really go there too often, but it was always like a special occasion to go yeah. and just walk around and eat and eat and drink and eat. And it's just such a great New York City thing that not a lot of people do yeah. is make it make the trip up to the Bronx. But well, Georgia, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. I mean, Hope to see you soon. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm going to be there on the su- on Sunday. So yeah, I'm Saturday I won't be soon. able to make, but Sunday I'll be there. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, we're going to take a a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about a cocktail if that's yeah. cool with you. All right, yeah. cool. cool. Great. Thank you. Hey, it's Mike from the Not A Foodie Show. Thanks for continuing to listen to us. Uh, <laughs> Thanks time for, for not yeah. hanging up <laughs> mid-podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, it's time for everyone's favorite segment. 
my favorite segment. What are we drinking tonight? And we have a, a guest that stayed with us, Georgia Caporuccio. Yes. <laughs> Queen of Neapolitan pizza. She's going to be at the New York City Pizza Festival this weekend, October 5th and 6th, 2019. In case you're listening to this in the future, you should have gone to the New York Pizza Festival yes. October 5th and 6th, 2019. I will be there on October 6th. Yes. If there are any time travelers in our audience yes. that are listening to this in the future, go back. October 5th, 2019. So what are you drinking tonight? I think I'm going to drink Aperol Spritz. Oh, and Aperol classic. Spritz. Of course you are. I'm really classic. Guys. What, what's in an Aperol Spritz? <laughs> so it's an Aperol, it's a twist of orange, and uh, I forgot the other. Prosecco, Prosecco. Yes. and seltzer. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm I, sorry, guys. I'm not really good. I, I love to drink, but I forgot what is inside. <laughs> it's okay. You explained how to make pizza dough. It's yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's simple. <laughs> I, You know, friends of mine who went to university in Italy... Um, I, I was having drinks with them over the summer, and they were just, it's a spritz. It, they were yeah. just, we're going to make a spritz. And I was like, well, what kind of a spritz? They're like, it, we're just making spritzes for everybody. I'm like, what is that? And then I realized Aperol spritz. And it's just, it's just what they drank. Like, it's yes. just what you drink in, in college, and yes. that's just what you drink all day long. So. We drink every time, everywhere. Aperitif. <laughs> yes. Mid-day. It's like an hour happy hour, basically. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's great. Mike, what are you drinking tonight? Um, I think I'm gonna do a rum groni, like uh, a, like a Negroni with, with rum. rum. Yeah, like a dark, like aged rum. Hmm. Just I just was just at an event last weekend, and I was um talking to Real McCoy Rum. Oh, and they, we use them at, for a yeah, wow. and they, so I was talking to the owners of the of the company, mm. and they were talking about. They're like aged rum they use for wow. Negronis. Twelve year, yeah. yeah, the twelve year. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. So what's yeah. in what's in your rum groni? I mean, it's simple. We just talked about it. But I, is well, it? I would use an aged rum. I would use like a twelve okay. year aged rum. I wouldn't use uh, off the shelf like Bacardi Gold or something. Right, right, right. Uh, n- no offense to them, it's just not what I want for this cocktail. Yeah, you need that depth. You need that, the mm-hmm. like uh, you know the the aging and bourbon then barrel. Campari so. and vermouth. That's it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice and easy. I love it. You know, you can make a. You can do a spritz with that too. You could do a rum groni spritz. It's like an aperol spritz. <laughs> I mean, much. I don't want to add prosecco and stuff. There yeah. is something called uh, sfagliata. Uh, yes, negroni. Yes. Yeah, which is instead of gin, you use prosecco. Yeah, which oh, is okay. a delicious drink as yes. well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, well, me, I am going to drink the simplest thing possible. My kitchen is under renovation. So there's everything that I have in my house. Is what's that? A wh- mango I, mango oh, flavored white claw. Stole it. You really? Stole it. No, no, no. Uh. <laughs> I was gonna say white claw. White claw, hundred percent. No, everything I have is under tarps. So oh. I think the first thing, I, and I know exactly where this is under the tarp, is a bottle of bourbon. Yeah. And just because I, you know, the, the necessities you always bourbon, know where yes. they are. So I'm just gonna have a bourbon neat because you I don't, don't even have, have ice cubes. I don't have a refrigerator. I don't have ice cubes. So bourbon neat. Maybe with a splash of water from my bathroom when sink you, because I don't have a kitchen when sink. When you order pizza or Chinese food or whatever else, because you're only ordering right now because you can't cook, you should right. also ask them to just bring you a side of ice yes. in a cup. That's that's a good call. That yeah. is a really good call. That's what I'm here for. That's why I get paid the big bucks. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, <laughs> that's it for the Not A Foodie mm-hmm. Show today. Um, Georgia, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Thank guys. You, Georgia. Oh, my God. My it was pleasure. so awesome to hear from you, and to, I can't wait to go take your pizza class. Thank uh, you. <laughs> Mike, 
Anything you want to add? No, I'll see you next Sunday. Yes. We'll see you at the New York City Pizza Festival. Listen to the Not A Foodie Show or subscribe to the Not A Foodie Show because you're already listening to the Not A Foodie Show. Go to notafoodie.com, at Not A Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe. Oh, and do us a favor. Tell all your friends to subscribe and listen to our show because, you know, we're nice guys generally. Um, and that's you learn it. things. You do learn yeah. things, like fermented pizza dough. <laughs> All right. That's it. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.